Freed from the boundaries of time and space, I coordinate any and all points of the universe wherever I want them to be. Some of us will fight them, we fight them. Some of us fight back. Informers will sleep with you, then stab you in the back. Welcome to Telling Stories. Each episode, we speak to a storyteller we admire, and they challenge us and you to explore an aspect of storytelling we perhaps hadn't considered before. They can be used to make arguments or points which may be different, very different, from their original meaning. Today we spoke to Courtney Youssef, part of the incredible team that bring you today in Focus at the Guardian. They do an amazing job of telling you the story behind the stats or giving a human voice to the news. And here's Courtney with an idea that has itched within me since our interview. The more that you can not only teach people how to be good storytellers, but how to be uh, wary of storytellers, I think is probably a good thing. I guess I, I was trying to think today about what what is the kind of point of all of these conversations. And I feel like for us both to be sat here having this chat, we must have this kind of implicit understanding that stories are very important and we want to know what it is about them, what the kind of magic is. So in imagine we're in the apocalypse and the world is ending and stories no longer exist. I, I kind of want to pick your brain about what that world would be like, a world without stories. I think if you don't have stories, then how can you really give anything meaning? They connect you to those who have come before you. They excite you in that there's a kind of magic in them. What, what do you think the magic is, though? Maybe something unexpected, but in a way makes sense to something that you may like more deeply understand. And I think maybe we do have deep principles and values. I don't think the world should just be viewed as like a manifestation of what we think of it as, you know, I'm not going to go around and say everything. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) Or yeah, I understand that so much. But I do think trying to work out how to maybe live your values and living a good life, stories tell you all the different manifestations of that and you can draw from them lessons how to be uh, a better version of yourself, a more realised version of yourself. Yeah, I think they're important and I mean, this world sounds pretty boring if there are no stories. I think stories are how you tell people what's cool, (laughs) what you think is cool, how you make people laugh, how you make people care about other people. And if we don't have stories, I guess we're just all hunting for nuts and fruit and berries and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I guess it gets a bit boring after a while. Yeah. There was something that you said, Courtney, about there being an element of, not, not danger in stories, though, but that, you know, there are so many different people telling stories that we have to be a bit kind of sceptical of how we kind of take take stories in. And that really stuck in my head. So I'm I'm just kind of wondering if 
is it important to be skeptical? Yeah, because, okay, so stories are important. They can inspire people to do things. They can help you feel like you're living a good life. They have an effect on us, which we can't escape. You know, our whole world is shaped by mm -hmm. stories and that power can be used for many different ends. This is not as negative as it necessarily sounds, if we realise what is happening. I remember the first time I watched this show, Ways of Seeing, by John Berger. It's this 1970s TV show. John Berger is an art historian. He shows you how images can be presented to create different meanings. Because paintings are silent and still, and because their meaning is no longer attached to them, but has become transmittable, paintings lend themselves to easy manipulation. They can be used to make arguments or points which may be different, very different, from their original meaning. The most obvious way of manipulating them is by using movement and sound. So, you know, if you show this Caravaggio of Jesus with a bit of shouty opera. It creates a different vibe as opposed to with this kind of ethereal choir music. The same picture, different framing, you get a completely different takeaway. And you know, he goes on to show you how images of women or even images that represent kind of wealth are framed in this way. But what is really, what really struck me is the way that he basically says, Images are manipulated to kind of create different meanings. I'm going to show you how that's done. This is a TV. I speak to you. You can't speak back to me. So I'm basically using some of these techniques in order to make my storytelling even more impactful in a way. So be skeptical of even of me. And I was just like, wow, you're kind of really... This is like a proper education for a TV audience. I think it was just so awesome. And so I think you have to remain sceptical of even our own storytelling because, you know, we are working to make things more impactful and more effective, but it's important that people have the tools to be able to scrutinise us. I mean, there are lots of people out there who are using stories to promote what I would call pretty bad ends, whether that's kind of creating division, othering people, trying to create fear... Those stories, I mean, you know, if we're trying to work out how to tell good stories, I think there's a whole school out there of how to tell pretty bad stories. You know, some kind of propaganda elements of alien others, infiltrators, historic grievances to honour. You know, there are so many repeating stories like that. The more that you can not only teach people how to be good storytellers, but how to be uh, wary of storytellers, I think is probably a good thing. Yeah, that's just such a kind of powerful point, uh, I, which it's so easy to get wrapped up in a story. And I think even when I'm telling my own personal stories, if I want you to listen, I might tell you, you know, the most shocking part of the story first. And I... Is that kind of tool or technique, does that debase the story form? Because I think to tell a story, you do need a bit of 
You know, I'm thinking about your story now, again, with Muhammadu Old Salahi. You know, there are parts of that story which, as a listener, you might not have heard before. You know, he talks about torture techniques in Guantanamo Bay. And there's part of that that does immediately make you, you tune in. Yesterday, we brought you the story of how one former Guantanamo Bay detainee, Muhammadu Ould Salahi, was taken from his home in Mauritania, tortured in Jordan and Afghanistan, before being imprisoned in Guantanamo Bay, where he was tortured again. He starts us beating me, and then they put ice cubes on me so that the beating goes away. Then they beat me again. And this American team, they keep, like, pouring water over my face, my nose, until I, like, choke. Yeah, it was horrible. Mohamedou has always insisted he was not guilty of anything. But after they threatened to hurt his mother, he decided to falsely confess to involvement in some of the world's most shocking terrorist attacks. That made life more bearable for Mohamedou as he was moved to a place called Echo Special, reserved for the highest value detainees. I guess that's just like a very base, gratuitous part of us that's kind of interested in these details. How, how do you kind of create that capture and that attention without it becoming a kind of shoot up or... It's definitely been something we've been talking about. Some of the conversations with some of the Today in Focus team. I guess it was in the context of some of the Sarah Everard reporting. You know, how do you discuss mm. other instances of violence against women in an impactful way? But that maybe does more than just gets your audience to feel something. Because actually, reliving trauma has a power. To, to what end, though? Is that changing things at all for the better mm. is someone coming away from listening to this with more than just god that was really intense we want to make something impactful because you want to help people connect to things on a human level but also we need to kind of move the conversation forward as well you know what are the bits where that connection helped mm. to make a new framing you know there's um responsibility to storytelling as well what is the next thing we can do to help take this conversation further and so we've got an interview coming out with an amazing guy called jackson katz he spent decades looking at men's violence against women and he speaks a lot about what men can do and that felt like the next thing that kind of had to happen so in a way I guess sometimes approaching things from a journalistic perspective, when you're looking for the answer to your next question, it can kind of help you keep things feeling like they are not just rehashing stuff for the mm, sake of it. I guess it's in the word. What What's news? What's new? How can we? Yeah, but then you know the limit. The journalism has its like limits as well. I kind of think. Um, I guess one thing I've been learning recently is that just because something's been said once doesn't mean that's it. I mean, there's many different versions of the same story from many different perspectives. You know, it's not all just about chasing the new because maybe there is a better understanding to be developed about something that's already been talked about. One thing, Courtney, that we really, that Redsy and I really noticed when we were listening to a lot of the stories that you produce and some of your radio work is just that sense of being 
whooshed from our living room to wherever you are and and you set the scene so well but it's not you don't create the stereotype of what we think we're going to find when we arrive there it feels like a much more lived experience of wherever you've taken us so how do you do that when you're kind of creating the scene for somebody through words or sounds what what is it that you want to bring to life first of all there is no like authentic truth I should say that there's never going to be like okay I've got it now I get what this place is but I do think you can get close to it by listening to lots of people and trying to explore it from lots of different angles I don't necessarily think there is a truth but there are some untruths and I think if you can do your best to avoid those while still saying something and actually engaging with people who have got the authentic investment in an area. I think you just kind of have to work from actually the ground up rather than your own vision of a place. And then you'll get there. You'll get to as close as it's possible to get, perhaps. The world is complicated. Just make sure that you're doing your work in respect of that. And something that I've noticed about the Guardian stories is it's often the details that help you to feel, uh, you know, that you get the understanding of it, not through the wide span out kind of picture, but you hone in on those close details. So with Muhammadu al-Salahi, there's that, that shot, which I just still have in my head of him looking in the wing mirror at his mother, he's being taken away to, you know, on this kind of uh, slow stage journey to eventually arrive at, at Guantanamo prison. He's watching his mother move her fingers through the prayer beads. I want to know how you, how you get to that level of detail in a story. And if it's through an interview, how do you get to that stage with the person you're interviewing that they give you that? I guess, first of all, you know, Muhammad is an amazing storyteller. You need to get him on the show. He's a master of language, first of all. When he was telling the story about how he was getting moved from place to place, he would be recognising where people are from, just from the kind of type of dialect of Arabic they'd be speaking, or whether they had a Turkish name. He would be able to kind of, from his time in Guantanamo, he would watch films over and over and over again. So he has just this command of like Americanisms and, you know, there's a power of specificity within them. He told us his story in a way through, let's say, 12 scenes. His eye for detail was amazing. And again, you know, when you're trying to work out what is the authentic place to take you to, most of the time it's from listening to what he observed. You know, what is the thing that when everything else melts away, memory-wise, lingers on with him? I was laughing and so on. I said, nothing will happen. And then I took my car and one of the car rode beside me. And he was like searching my car at the same time. And I could see my mother in the rear view mirror. You know, she was praying and blown her prayer after Sounds like that image of your mum in the rearview mirror has stayed with you. Yes, to this day. I could still see the moving of her fingers. As she used the prayer beads? 
Yes. Could you have imagined that that was the last time you'd see her? No, no. I would never have imagined that. No. Yeah, it was a real pleasure to be able to speak with him because he does speak in these beautiful scenes, let's say. And if he tells a story in 12 scenes, we basically have to tell it in four scenes and you have to kind of work out which ones move the story forward, inform the listeners to what's actually happened, but also communicate the humanity in the story. Did you understand what you were accused of? What they wanted you to tell them? Yes. First, they wanted me to admit to Millennium Plot. And then they said, no, it's not good. They said, we want you to admit that you recruited the 9-11 hijackers, that you are the one who sent those guys to blow up this building. This is not easy stuff. And then they told me, no, maybe this will not stick. We want you to admit that you planned, planned an operation and it failed. If you don't have a guest, quite as good a storyteller as Mohamedou, you have to kind of pick the scenes yourself and try and think, you know, where were you when you heard that? What did you do? You know, who did you speak to straight after? I often find the question that I've kind of not so much done in news interviews, but more done in kind of culture interviews is, you know, where is your happy place there? Where is home for you? And if you get someone to speak about that, then often you know, they're going to be quite honest with you and you're going to get a bit of an authentic self. And when I think someone is kind of honestly and authentically describing somewhere to you, that's when you can, like, really feel it. The energy of the things that they pull out of their mind's eye to share with you is quite powerful. And it's special. You just want to ask everyone that, right? Yeah, I guess it's about trying to build out scenes where you feel that people may be particularly honest about things. It's tough, you know, knowing what to pull away. If you've got 12 fantastic scenes, sometimes I don't know what part is the, the crucial part or the thing that will help guide people the most. Sometimes that's so tricky to kind of navigate. I don't know if you found ways of doing it better or... No, it's really hard. And I think, especially when those scenes, you know, what's the power of those scenes that we talked about? Sometimes it's, you know, through that bit of the story, you learn something about how to be a better person, maybe. You're like, oh, wow, mm. God, I'm so inspired by the way that you just... Your love for life or your love for people has come out through that or your commitment to your values or something like that. And sometimes you feel like, Oh, God, I wish I could just do a little highlight reel of life lessons from Mohamedou at the end of the episode or something like that. Um, but you can't and you hope that the bits that you do, you, you know, you can't put everything in there and you hope that the bits that you do put in there give enough to a listener. You do feel informed, but you also feel kind of inspired as well. Sometimes say less with more, which is something I'm always trying to learn how to be better mm -hmm. at. Was there a line in that in that interview with him, Courtney, that particularly stood out for you that lingers in your head? You know, what really amazed me was at the end of it all, Mohamedou is somehow not 
living with the experience of all that trauma, even though I'm amazed that the nature of his character has allowed him to be able to tell that story so powerfully, despite all that happening to him. The fact that he doesn't seem to be paralysed by his own anger or hate. He just says holding a grudge is too tiring. It's awesome because he's in control. He's in charge of his relationship to those events. He's winning in the end. You know, he won. He chooses what he wants out of that event. And I hope he will get to realise his love for life. I guess, so the one thing that's clear then is that the the voices that you're choosing to platform are, are very important. And I imagine that that takes a lot of kind of attention and care and when we first asked you to come and have this conversation the interview that you wanted to discuss was with Benjamin Zephaniah and George the Poet why did you choose that kind of interview that story and what what was important about it to you so we decided to bring George the Poet and Benjamin Zephaniah together I think in large part because they are both kind of pioneers in creating new spaces for for the genres that they're kind of working in you know Bob Marley for example he was making reggae in Jamaica but then he started working with a UK based label Island Records and they worked chopped up them kind of melodies in a way to create what I kind of think is as a new genre that Bob Marley made which took reggae and made it global. It kind of just made its accessibility much more wide-reaching. And I think George the Poet, I think, has certainly done that with Grime, creating a new space where you really see it as a poetic art form. And I actually think Benjamin Zephaniah has done that in a similar way with Rastafarianism teachings and ways of speaking. I'm sure we could have chosen many amazing black poets, but we decided to speak with them and um, thought it would be great to hear about, I guess, their own navigations through life and the parallels and differences between them. Benjamin, in 2003, actually the same year you lost Mikey, you famously rejected an OBE, which would have made you officially an officer of the order of the British Empire. And George, you made the same decision about an MBE 16 years later. I'm actually going to start with you, George. Why did you reject that honour? I grew up knowing that Benjamin had rejected his honour and I hadn't given it that much thought. I understood that he's a principled man. I hadn't had as much time to form my opinion on empire. Now, when I was first asked... I was a big man at this time. I was 28 years old. My knee-jerk reaction was, yes, I'm not Benjamin Zephaniah. I think this could work. I think I'm okay with that honour. But it didn't take long for that logic to unravel because really the memory of my grandfather and my understanding of the political challenges of Ugandan society, that flooded back to me because I was being asked if I was going to accept an MBE. Benjamin, if we rewind and go back to your decision you were a huge success and they wanted to recognize you was your reason for not accepting similar well you see I don't think I've been a huge success if I was a huge success we wouldn't have Black Lives Matter in Britain now 
you wouldn't have had a couple of wars because we were all about shaking up and waking up the people and then that would go on to influence the government and so I consider us kind of I'm not going to say failure but we weren't successful at that now I listened to why George said he didn't take it and I agree with the word empire but I actually would go further you see because one of the questions that people say is would you take it if the word empire was changed and my answer to that is also absolutely not. Mm, yeah, I think that was what was so powerful about that episode was watching the two of them coming from different ages and, and generations. And, and yet, you know, they had shared very some very similar experiences, but watching the two of them bounce back and forth off each other as they kind of, it was kind of lovely to see them figuring things out together. Yeah, that was a really amazing episode. And I and especially when you hear Benjamin start performing on the on the recording, you're immediately just lifted into the, the passion of what he's saying. And there is something about poetry and the, the kind of musicality that can bring a message. In at the distant of the night, you see them moving around, investigating and crime-making within any town. Creeping persons with no heart, them control who them please, them only like physio when you're on your bending knees. Some of us will fight them, we fight them. Some of us fight back. Informers will sleep with you, then stab you in the back. This regime is racist, me know this regime is bent. This regime is like a worthless penny that's unspent. Well, this policeman keeps on kicking me and pulling out my locks. He keeps on feeding me unlimited book locks. This policeman is a coward. He gets me from behind. Well, him can jail my body, but him cannot jail my mind. Like a bat from hell, he come at night to work his evil plan. Although he goes to church on Sunday, he's a sinner man. Like a thief in his architect, me to the place where him just left. And when him get me in there, him is kicking me to death. This policeman, this policeman, this policeman keeps on kicking me to death. I tell you, this policeman, well, this policeman, well, this policeman keeps on kicking me to death. I keep coming back to this idea of like honesty. I think it can be the honesty in music sometimes, which also gives it its explosive power as well. You know, there is there is a crossover between someone speaking a truth and music's power. And occasionally when you get it in a song, for example, where you can really hear someone going for it, that's when you get a real atomic explosion and everything else is gone and you're just focusing on this one thing and you're... You know, I don't know what that feeling is. There's something about it that I I feel when I talk, I can kind of, uh, I can perform more and, it, and therefore I'm more in control of the narrative. But when you're singing, maybe it's because often mm. the words are given to you and therefore you're just concentrating on the, the feeling that you bring to the words. There's perhaps more of an honesty around it. Mm. That is really interesting. I think there is just a power to um, speak from one human to another across time and across space through through the human voice, whether that is through music or whether that is through poetry or whether that is through someone honestly telling you something. I think even if you were just to hear an interview from, let's say, 1910 recorded, you didn't even speak the language, I think you'd be able to pick up some of what is really going on if someone was speaking the truth to you. When you really need to, you can... We are hardwired to be able to understand each other. 
Yeah, I love that, Courtney. And it's something, it almost makes the words themselves feel less important. It's just the kind of, the emotion and, and the feeling that is there that can be picked up on. For sure. But then that's where I think the words are important and the context is important because even though I do think there is a universality in, in in the work that you can do when you're telling stories or as a journalist, the world is complex and specificity means specificity and detail and the particular is important because even though it's good to connect on the universal, I think you can get into some laziness and problem and problems with just being like, we're all the same, you know, one love. Feel you know, I do be- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do believe in one love, but I do think that like, be specific about your love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. No, but I mean, I kind of think that's the thing that, um, I don't know if it's true for, I don't want to say like young people, but I definitely think when you're like learning your way in the world, it is very important to like feel that you're developing a greater understanding of your truths and what is right and what is wrong. But you can't just let that blindly guide you towards an idea that yeah. you understand everything, you know? And I think you've got to learn about how those fundamental truths work in different different places and with different people. Um, because, yeah, you've got to keep learning. You're going to have to go through some complicated thought processes and sometimes you're going to have to let your view go because someone's told you something else or someone's shown you something else which actually makes more sense. Even though you might lose face, at the end of it, and you hope at the end of a life, you've got a really healthy set of values which have been tested in a whole load of different scenarios. Yeah, you've got to be, yeah, to have healthy views, I think you need to be able to constantly be testing them. Mm, yeah, I really like that. Test your stories, be prepared to lose them, be prepared to get more. I guess it's coming back to kind of more like the art of storytelling. Sometimes a straightforward story can seem more appealing, but actually the world doesn't really work like that. And there are many things true at once. And I think representing some of that in your stories is, is maybe sometimes more honest and maybe even more useful. A challenge. So going back to something we were talking about earlier, just in terms of you know, making sure that your listeners are armed with the skills and tools that they need to not only tell their own stories, but be sceptical of other people's stories as well. You know, can you create a bit of audio which is kind of impactful to the listener while you're also teaching them how you're doing it at the same time? I wonder... That was Courtney Youssef. And I love what Courtney said about stories connecting us to the people who've come before. Because taking all of human history into account, that's a lot of people. And this notion that the stories we tell that are things that connect us is just so powerful. And perhaps they're one of the only ways to bridge that generation upon generational gap. This week, Phoebe and I collaborated on the challenge because our brains were stuck it was really hard. In the, in the end, we created something that focused on the idea of a story 
and how it can be told in so many different ways, even by a single person. Um, because perhaps depending you know, on what point we are in our lives, we look at our own stories very differently. So that, that was the idea. I don't know if we succeeded. <laughs> So this is him with my mother. That was the fourth affair that he'd had. I just can't wrap my head around that. 50 years alone. I just think, what's a bitter end, this aching emptiness. I do blame him. I'm gonna have to put this photo away. So we tried to tell the story of a man whose father has run off after a string of affairs and in one context the man still loves his father and can accept that all relationships are complex and in the other version the man is still loyal to his mother and he can't accept this massive betrayal. Emily what do you what would you like to learn going forward? I feel like there's a lot that we can we kind of we we tripped up a lot in this challenge. Yeah exactly I think Perhaps we need to learn how to remove ourselves from the equation. Especially with this challenge, it's so hard to listen from scratch when you know the bigger picture. So I think we can get better at being the listener, the audience, as well as the storyteller. Okay, so you've got to almost attach yourself as a listener to know when it's making sense or not. Mm. Yeah, I, I like what we were trying to do at the beginning with flicking through an album and the memory sort of jumping out. But then the story itself just feels a little contrived. <laughs> you can't get a lifetime in the 20 seconds, <laughs> including a steam train. <laughs> so I'd like, to, I'd like to be able to create feeling in a short amount of time without it feeling too, you know, over the top. Anyway, this was a very tough one, but please um, do play along with us and feel inspired. It was a brilliant challenge. Thank you so much, Courtney. Yes, thank you. And send us your challenges to tellingstoriespod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at stories underscore pod. Thank you for listening.